Have you ever noticed that Americans are always looking for keys? We want someone to give us three keys to a better life, five keys to a happy marriage, seven keys to a stable and secure future. Hey, this is Nate Dancer with Purity for Life. This week, we're starting a new mini-series about keys. Well, not exactly. This series is about key lessons. We're going to talk about some of the most important lessons that you will need as you journey out of sexual sin and into real freedom. The first key lesson, you have to have a fighting spirit. You're either moving towards God or you're moving away from him. There is no just like, I'll sit here for a little bit because I want to take a break from the fight. Like, you only have one option to move forward. Later on in the series, we'll talk about living by faith instead of feelings, facing the consequences of our sin in a godly way, dealing with failure, fighting in God's strength, and some others. Thanks so much again for joining us on Purity for Life. Here we go. Before we get into today's show, I want to explain a little bit about the thinking behind this series. I'm very aware that learning to live in freedom over sexual sin or any kind of life-dominating sin is a journey. There's a definite beginning, there's a middle, and there's a real end goal. And this means that there's a right way to go and there are a lot of wrong ways I can't just turn wherever I feel like and then hope to arrive at my destination. For example, when I want to go to Walmart, there are a number of turns that I have to make in the correct order. The first turn is out of the driveway, and it's a left turn. If I turn right, then I'm not headed toward Walmart anymore. But let's say I make that first left turn correctly and then decide... I don't want to drive on the road anymore. I want to drive through that pretty field over there. Well, that's a choice that I can make, but I'm not going to end up at Walmart. I'm going to end up with my car on the back of a tow truck headed toward a body shop. Are you getting the point? Freedom is a real destination. Arriving at that destination is not inevitable unless I do the right things at the right time. So in this series, we want to give you certain lessons that you'll need to learn so that at those crucial moments, you turn the right way and keep going in the direction of freedom. Now, the beginning point of this journey is repentance. And if we don't start from that beginning, then we're never going to arrive at freedom. Any other starting point, whether it's self-effort or turning over a new leaf, or whatever. Those things are not going to get us on the road that really lead to freedom. Now, on Purity for Life, we've done quite a bit about repentance, so I'm not going to rehash that in this episode. If you're not sure that you've genuinely repented, then I would encourage you to first listen to episode number 355, What Role Does Repentance Play in Freedom from Porn? But if you've really experienced genuine repentance then you're on the right road. 
and you need to know how to keep going in the right direction. The first key lesson on the road to freedom that we're going to talk about is having a fighting spirit. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit of a roundabout way. We're going to do it by looking at the story of Jonathan, who graduated from our residential program about seven years ago. We're going to start by just giving you a brief look at his life prior to deciding to enroll in our residential program. I grew up in a Christian home always went to church for as long as I could remember. I was the middle kid, had two sisters. Uh, we fought like cats and dogs <laughs> for most of my childhood. But I never had, like, I don't have a traumatic like family story of like, oh, this is what sent me down that path. I've lived in a very normal, quote unquote, family. My parents always gave us what we needed and more. I had a, a very good, loving family growing up. When I was eight or nine years old, I started reading some Tarzan books, and I remember reading about his character. He was very muscular, very strong, and almost every female character in the book threw themselves at him. And I remember very much wanting to be desired and honestly lusted after the way he was. And so that started triggering me exploring things online. I started looking at male models and pictures of them that slowly progressed into softer and, and then harder core porn. And my, my focus started out as like, this is what the ideal male looks like. This is what I want to look like so that I can get the attention and like really praise of women. Um, and then it turned into me focusing and desiring those same men as well. I had a mixed way of handling things. I think it was mostly like worldly sorrow. I would would feel guilt and shame, and I think it was mostly attached to like, oh, this is this is sexual sin. Not only is it sexual sin, it's homosexual sin. Um, you know, the Baptist culture, it wasn't like there were a ton of people talking about sexual sin to begin with, let alone homosexual sin. So there was a lot of remorse focused on the shame that I felt. And, and so I would feel bad, I would hang my head low, act depressed and, and all of that. And then I would find a leader and I talked to a lot of people. It could be the school counselor, it would have been men and women in my church that I respected. And I would basically, I, I would do the act, I would go online, look at stuff, and then I would word vomit when that pressure became too intense. And that would relieve it for a little bit. They're like, yeah, oh, I'm so sorry. And I would get encouragement from them and then, Eventually, um, after a few days of feeling like more peace with the fight, the same feelings would intensify again and again, and then I'd go back to looking at something online and repeat the cycle. I wanted God, or I wanted at least to be done with the fight with my sin, and so I'd confess, and then I'd gorge myself and confess again and just repeat the cycle. So when I was in college, I uh, continued to just repeat that cycle of hiding my sin, gorging it, confessing to different people. I even went to a, 
sexual addiction group, kind of like AA basically, um, and would use those guys to, to word vomit, you know, every now and again when I felt the pressure build up again. But basically I just continued to surrender myself over and over. I had a laptop at that point that I was using for school, so I'd find a room somewhere or I'd find a place where I was just by myself and go online, look at videos. I would video chat with people. And at some point I... F- it was kind of like the walking dead, if you will, uh, just a zombie from this constant cycle. And I'm like, okay, I need to do something different. So I, I prayed and fasted for a day. And I remember talking with some friends that I was really close to at that time. And I'm like, I'm going to end school. And I think I want to move in with you. And when I decided to leave school, I lived with some friends like 30 minutes away and uh, decided I would tackle my sin with their help. When I started living with my friends, I basically did the same things that I'd always done to fight my sexual sin. I would confess it. I would have these long, drawn out, just pouring out my heart, kind of word vomit. But at some point, I still wanted the same same things I'd always wanted. And I ended up crossing a line that I never went past. I, I met with somebody in person and had a sexual encounter with another man. And that was the thing that that broke me enough, whether it was worldly remorse or not, it was enough to get me to that place where I was willing to call pure life. Now that you're a little bit familiar with Jonathan, we're going to look a little more closely at his life. I sat down with him last week to talk about some of his personal struggles, his reactions toward his sin, and some of the reasons why he was prevented from really finding the freedom that he was looking for. So, Jonathan, yesterday I was reading through your answers to the um, pre-interview questionnaire that I sent you, and there was a couple things that stuck out to me. It seemed like maybe you had, like, a pretty good sense about what was right and wrong. You know, you, you obviously felt a lot of shame, a lot of guilt about about the, the sin that you were in, and I, so I wondered, I wonder if... I wonder if Jonathan was kind of like generally looking to to be on the side of right, to do the right mm-hmm. thing, to do what was acceptable, at least outwardly. Right. Um, what would you say about that? Is that true? Yeah. No, I think I'd say generally I wanted to be like the good church person. I wanted to be – when I we would have different missionaries come to church events, I remember growing up, and I wanted to be like them. I heard about the amazing ways God worked in their lives and – like hundreds were saved or this or that, or I had a conversation and God was just really moving and I wanted to be that person. And yeah, I was a rule follower, at least on the outside. I very much wanted to be seen as a good kid or a good person and knew how to to portray that well. Okay. Yeah. And the reason that I wanted to ask you about that was because sometimes people who have kind of a sensitivity inside will be convicted about what they're hearing at church, mm. you know, because when the truth is preached, um, it it can pierce the heart, it can pierce the conscience, and people go, man, I just, like, I really need God. So I'm wondering, like, did you have that kind of sensitivity, or was it just that you felt a lot of shame about that one particular issue? I think mostly at that time it was focused on I'm feeling really shameful about this particular sin. 
I wanted to be close to God, but I think it was mostly because I wanted him to take away that sin and then just make me a superstar in the kingdom. Mm. And that never really played out that way. All right. Um, you know, this this wasn't on the list of questions that I that I wrote down, but I'm thinking about that that young kid who is really struggling with something shameful. Something's on his conscience, you know, like he knows man, something's really wrong and he's thinking to himself, there's nobody that I can tell, mm. you know? And I'm not sure if that is, in some cases, maybe that is legitimate. Mm-hmm. What do you, Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, so I actually, um, there were a couple particular things that I think play right into that that I was thinking about. There were people in my church and all throughout my life that I've been able to talk to And I study people's faces usually to see what they think about me. And I wouldn't say that there were many times where I felt rejected by what I was interpreting on their face. But I do remember going to a youth conference, like the group of churches that we were a part of, and they had some sort of questionnaire like, write in your questions if you need help with something. Or in some way, I thought that I had an opportunity to write and say like, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is really hard. Is there anybody I could talk to? I don't remember ever hearing back from someone. Um, There was a gentleman in my church that loves the Lord, um, very godly, um, did mission work for a while, was a pastor for a long time. And I would meet with him for a while. Now, this could be skewed, because of me being in the middle of the sin when I would sure. meet with him. But I remember having this impression that he was talking to me, but maybe didn't know exactly what to do with the sin. Didn't really know how to talk about it well. Yeah. Um, so there was that kid that at different points maybe didn't feel understood. And some of that I think was skewed because... I was, <laughs> I was skewed in my thinking. I was um, doing what I wanted. I was running away from God. I was rejecting his word. But I think there are legitimate aspects of that where people in the church don't always know how to talk about the full mess of sin and mm. what to do with that. It mm. makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, just the, again, this is like kind of off script, but I'm just reflecting on how you probably felt that you know, you felt that same way at different times, like, okay, people are listening to me, but they don't know how to help me. Or mm-hmm. maybe some some young person out there is thinking, there's nobody I can tell, but the Lord mm-hmm. was listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? he was listening. I don't think I fully believed that, though. Yeah. Um, th- I remember when I was in middle school, I'm like, okay, I'm going to read the whole Bible. And I got up very diligently every morning, and would read for, I don't know, like 30 minutes to an hour before school. Uh, And I remember getting to the end of Revelations, and I'm like, that's it? Like, I was expecting this transformation experience. I think I didn't trust that God was listening to me because he didn't just change me the way I wanted him to. Mm. And so, yes, there was the Lord, but I I didn't have a strong enough faith to actually believe that he would do something. When I talk to people, there's relief, at least temporary relief, and so— I leaned on them way more than I ever did try to lean on the Lord through yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Were there times where the Lord, prior to pure life, were there mm-hmm. times where you know he was really trying to get your attention? Yeah. I know that he was pursuing me. I I think I mostly ignored him um, 
I just, I just ignored him and kept on running after my sinner, hoping that he would wave a magic wand over me mm. um, and fix it. This is really important. What Jonathan really wanted was for God to snap his fingers and take his struggle with sin away. He wanted God to zap him. And it's clear that Jonathan believed that if God was who he said he was, this is what he would do. Now, this is a really crucial part of Jonathan's story because this mindset of wanting and pursuing an instant fix that eliminates any struggle with sin, this really does keep people from continuing down the road to freedom. Now, Jonathan himself is going to admit this later on, but I just wanted to highlight it so that you would have it in your mind as you listen to more of his story. So when you arrived at Pure Life, like what was going on internally? Mm Because this is like a big change and there's a lot at stake here and people come to Pure Life with a lot of of, uh, baggage. They come Mm -hmm. with a lot of really difficult situations that they're coming out of. It's not an easy time. What was going on for you? Yeah, no, I, there was a lot of just emotional numbness um, because I was so shaken, I think, by what I'd done. But I also, I had a foot wanting to pursue the Lord and then a foot wanting to take off and pursue my sin full speed. Um, like even on the plane, on the way to pure life, I remember essentially soliciting a favor from someone on the plane. Like I just, I was numb. I didn't know what to do, but I, I said I wanted the Lord, but I also completely wanted to go after every fantasy that I never had the courage to play out. Mm. You know, I think that one of the common denominators for men who come into the program, I know this was true about me, is that we thought I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. I've been in the church my whole life. I believe the doctrines. I've been baptized. I've made a profession of faith. Even though our lives, the reality is it's full of self-will, it's full of selfishness and rebellion. We've been hypocrites. We've been liars. Mm -hmm. We've dragged people through the mud. And, you know, there's this deception kind of hanging over us. But as we begin to confront and be confronted by the truth, a lot of times there's this realization that, wow, I'm lost. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm really in trouble spiritually. Sometimes that happens in a big flash, you know, a big moment. Other times it's gradual. What was it like for you? Was that your experience? Would you have said it that way or? Yeah, I don't know if I would say it that way. I think, I guess maybe going back to that sensitive conscience, whether or not that was a truly pure thing. I think I often wrestled with doubt because like, how could I be a Christian if I am full on wanting to run after my sin? Okay. Okay. So for you, it wasn't so much deception. Like you already knew my yeah. life's a wreck. Yeah. There was confusion for sure. And there was a lot of self-deception about like, did I actually want the Lord? Did I actually want to be done with the sin? But no, I think, I think the question of like, am I a Christian or not was constantly like a tumbleweed, like blowing through my mind um, in the midst of all of this. It was just tangled up with all of it. I eventually had to come to a point where it's like, either way, I need to be pursuing the Lord. Like, I can't get hung up on like, oh, well, once saved, always saved, because then that could lead me into complete error. And I'm like, well, I'm fine, even though I did X, Y, and Z and went after all this sin. I'm fine because once saved, always saved. 
And then there's the other ditch of like, oh, well, I'm just constantly afraid that I can't come close to the Lord. At the end of the day, I have to be willing to fight and kill this sin and trust that God can take me through. Um, I remember being in the program and when they told me it was time for me to graduate, I'm like, well, what if? Like, what if? Like, I constantly had this fear that I would slip through the cracks and I would be the one that got away from God, that I'd deceive everyone around me and that I'd end up being completely outside of God's kingdom, even though I looked the part. I'm just going to break in here again and share a little bit of my own testimony because I dealt with something pretty similar to Jonathan. At one point when I was in the residential program, I was really struggling with the question of how can I have any assurance that I'm saved if I've been so sinful? Now, that question is a legitimate one because the Word makes it really clear that If we say we have fellowship with him, but are walking in darkness, we lie and do not tell the truth. And it's also very clear that those who are in the practice of sexually immoral things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those scriptures are very serious, they should be taken at face value, and we should tremble at his word. Now that being said, I've seen something happen in the lives of men here, and it also happened in my own life, that the doubts about my own salvation can become all-consuming in my mind instead of what should be all-consuming, which is the pursuit of God himself. I remember my counselor one time saying to me, Nate, it would be better for you to seek God your whole life and go to hell than never to have sought him. That was really helpful for me because it really simplified my life. What God was looking for was not to obsess over the question of my own salvation, but to pursue him with my whole heart and to fight against the sin that was threatening to destroy my soul. Okay, let's get back to the interview. So one of the things that is another common denominator when somebody comes into our residential program, they come in, I came in, everybody I think comes in basically saying, sexual sin, this is why I'm here, fix Mm -hmm. me, Mm -hmm. teach me what to do, you know? And then the Lord starts digging deeper, he starts showing other heart issues and root issues and um, sometimes we're like, I'm not here for that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what he really wants to deal with. What about... What about you? What heart issues were started coming up that you started realizing, oh, wow, God wants to deal with this? Yeah, I think the biggest one was anger. Like I was angry that God didn't just change me. And I was also angry that he allowed me to struggle the way I was struggling. Um, I really, like, I don't think I could completely come to grips that this was my choice. Like I, oh. I remember wrestling and like, there must be something like, is there some past trauma that I've like blocked out? And like, that's why I've done this. And it's like, no, like I chose it. And I'm, I'm angry that it, that God allowed that to happen. And like I, I do want to be close to him, but he's put this in my life and I don't know how to fight it and overcome it. Like, why would he do that? 
Mm. So I think yeah, that so was like, one. I'm a victim. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very mm. much a victim mentality and wanting to have justifiable reasons for being a victim, not just having to like confront the fact that like, no, like that was all you, like your heart desired that. So I think that was the biggest thing. I also, for like even before peer life, I was very argumentative, but like, oh yeah, I know. Like people would say things like adults in my life. I'm like, oh yeah, 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 I know. Um, At one point, my counselor had to tell me to stop using the word but because I would be like, but this, but that. And he's like, yeah, you're banned from saying that. Like you you can't say but anymore. And you need to really memorize Proverbs 3 talking about um, not leaning on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge the Lord. Um, You need to stop arguing and thinking that you know what's right and what's not. But yeah, no, that was, I think, difficult to see that I was actually angry, that I wasn't just this despondent, depressed person, that the depression or anxiety and worry like came from anger as well and pride. I was depressed because it wasn't easier. And ultimately, I was angry that God didn't just take it away. And, mm. and like he could do that in an instant. Why wouldn't he do that? Yeah. Yeah. We do want that. We want him to just snap his fingers. You know, like if you're God, then like prove it and do something. Right. The thing that I've come to when I think about like, why wouldn't he just wave his, like snap his fingers and then it's done. That's not going to build my faith if he just takes it away. And at the end of the day, I was lazy. I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to have to learn how to fight. I didn't want to have to learn how to apply his word to my life. So it actually renewed my mind. I just wanted the fight to be done because I was tired of fighting. I was tired of having to believe that at some point God is truly going to change my heart and is truly going to change my thinking. And so in my mind, you know, like maybe outwardly it was this like, oh, poor Jonathan, like he really wants the Lord to work. But no, it was like poor Jonathan didn't want to fight the good fight of faith. Jonathan didn't want to actually lean into the Lord and let him change him in his timing. Earlier, you mentioned that when you came to Pure Life, you had your feet in both worlds. Mm -hmm. You're telling yourself, I really want to follow Jesus, but you're also saying, I want to throw myself into my sin. Mm -hmm. And obviously, that's just that's double-mindedness, right? and there has to be repentance from that and a clear decision, like, I'm going to follow the Lord for real. Mm-hmm. When did that decision happen inside of you, and what did that look like? Yeah, I think... Um, I remember sitting in the office, like, doing some quiet time and, like, reading the Bible and doing my prayer time, like they required, you know, like I was being the diligent student... And I remember coming across Isaiah 42, 16, and it, it jumped out at me because I was, I was feeling that double-mindedness. Um, and it was talking about how God can lead the blind in the way that they do not know and, and can't see, that he can make the crooked way straight and go before them and make the rough places level, and that no matter what, he would never forsake his people. And I remember sitting there and just feeling all that confusion and the fact that God is basically saying, it doesn't matter how tangled up your heart is. Like I can, I can straighten that out. I can make it a straight path before you. And I'm not going to abandon you in this. I don't know if I had like one moment where I'm like, this is the moment I'm going to follow. In reality, I think I can't pinpoint one moment. There were a lot of different moments. Um, I think there are probably some moments in the program or just staying in the program 
instead of actually acting out on that, like, oh, I'm going to leave and chase all my fantasies. But yeah, I, I can't pinpoint one thing. I think it was a slow conviction that the Lord was gracious to give to me over time. You know, even though Jonathan didn't have this big breakthrough moment in the program, this really does seem to have been a turning point because what God was teaching him was that even though God was not willing to do everything for him like he had wanted, God was willing to do it in him as he fought the good fight of faith. Throughout my interview with Jonathan, the thing that kept coming back up was the idea that the Christian life is not primarily about having dramatic experiences where the Lord magically does all of the work for us, but rather about maintaining a lifelong pursuit of the Lord and that we continue to fight to live in repentance, obedience, and faith. One of the things that you mentioned on the pre-interview questionnaire, because I was asking you about this big breakthrough moment, and Mm -hmm. you said that mostly what God taught you to do was to consistently spend time with him in his word and in prayer, and that walking the Christian walk is not about one major breakthrough moment. Yeah. And, you know, I thought that was really helpful for a number of reasons. I'm not going to talk about it because I want you to talk (laughs) about it, but why, why did it help you to realize that it's not about this this flash of light that changes everything, but it's just a daily thing. I think in some ways I had to have that mindset if I was going to keep on fighting. Like I, I remember craving a breakthrough moment. I remember hearing about guys having dramatic, yeah. like, oh, night and day, yesterday I was a different person um, compared to who I am right now. And I'm like, okay, Lord, like, when am I next? Like, when are you going to just do that breakthrough moment and then completely change my heart? I want it changed. Like, what am I supposed to do to get there? Like, what's A plus B to yes, equal C? Why? What's the formula? Um, and I remember my pastor talking about, I want to say it was like John Wesley describing the Christian walk as like mostly trudging, just like one step after the other. In order to maintain my faith and to continue growing in my faith, I've had to accept that my expectations of timing and change is not going to be God's expectation. Like God does do breakthrough moments. And I've seen that happen. And I know people where God did a major thing and it was, it almost seemed like an instantaneous change. But for me, it's been, I have to learn how to trust him one step at a time. I have to learn to trust him even when I don't feel like my heart is changing. I still have to be in the word because he promises that it doesn't return void. So I may not feel what I want to feel when I want to feel it, but I have to believe that that's true. And so I have to take one step after the next until I eventually get to a point where I look back and I'm like, oh, oh, whoa, yeah, God really has changed me. Like I am not that person anymore. There's Mm. more freedom than I've ever had, but I didn't feel like I didn't just see that happen. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that is helpful. I know from myself, you know, I did have some of those big breakthrough moments, mm -hmm. but I can definitely say that over the last 14 years, most of it has just been that daily walk of believing him. Mm -hmm. Even when I can't feel it, Mm -hmm. I can't see it. I, a lot of times my feelings have said, it's not happening. We're not changing. 
um, you know, God maybe moved in your life back there, but now you're all alone. There, there's been a lot of those battles of faith and having to hold on to his word, the truth of his word, despite what I feel, despite what I think I see, has been a real test, you know? And I think it, I, something you said earlier was so true. Like what we think is that if I just had that big breakthrough moment, mm-hmm. I'd believe. Mm-hmm. But that's not actually how faith works. Mm-mm. Faith works because we bring our wills and our thinking under the truth of God's word. And then we begin to see, you know, and like, um, yeah, we just, we have it all wrong. And a lot of times what we think would help us would actually hinder us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, God uses breakthrough moments. I mean, Paul, I don't know a good example of a breakthrough moment if Paul isn't <laughs> right. one. Like he literally stopped him, like blinded him, yeah. <laughs> and appeared to him in a vision and then set him off on that amazing ministry that we read about through most of the New Testament. Yeah. But that's not every Christian's experience. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's any less miraculous that God changes your heart over over time, but God in all of his wisdom knows exactly what I need to become yeah. more like Christ. And that has not included a breakthrough moment. I think in some ways me, part of my struggle with faith and constantly desiring that like one and done deal, um, like I don't think that that would help my faith grow the way it has because it's been a slow kind of trudge one step at a time. Mm-hmm. I've had to trust God and I've had to learn to push aside the feeling and the doubts like that you were describing. And like, it doesn't matter. Like, I can't at the end of the day say like, well, I don't feel what I think I should feel. I just have to keep on walking. Mm-hmm. And I have to trust that God is going to change me like he says he will. Yeah, which I think is, a, is just a really excellent encouragement to people we have to be in this for the long haul. Mm-hmm. You know, we, Jesus said those who endure to the end will be saved, mm-hmm. you know? And I've, I've been studying Hebrews. I, I love the book of Hebrews. Oh, I love Hebrews. But it talks about how what God is really looking for is that is holding this, this, the beginnings of our confidence all the way to the end. And, and he exhorts the, his audience about halfway through the book, like, I want you to strive to have this full assurance of hope. Like, go after that. Mm-hmm. Work on your hope. Because we need this. That's this is how we do the will of God. This is how we endure is is through hope. And I th- just think it's a really good encouragement that it it really doesn't matter how long it takes. Mm-mm. If it takes two years, if it takes five years, it doesn't matter. What other option do we have? Just to lay down? Right. Just to live in sin and hope we make it in the end? That's not an option. No, I think something that they said a lot at Peer Life was that you're either moving towards God or you're moving away from him. There is no just like, I'll sit here for a little bit because I want to take a break from the fight. Like you only have one option to move forward. And like Hebrews, like he says, you know, therefore set your hope on Christ, like set your eyes on Christ, lay aside every entangling sin. He doesn't say how long that's going to take. It's just, you have to constantly be doing that. He, all of his encouragements throughout Hebrew were like, get it together, man. Just keep (laughs) on pursuing me. Like lift your drooping limbs and like, keep on walking after me. And I think he does that because he knows that the walk is hard. We're up against an enemy that wants nothing more than for us to be another case study of 
ah, see, they didn't love the Lord, or like, see, God's glory isn't big enough to really transform them. And then we've got our own flesh that is always active. And then we've got the world all around us. And it's not exactly a like a Christian like bubble <laughs> in the world. Like right. it's, it's, it's hard to keep your eyes set on Jesus if you, if you pay attention to the world too long. You know, I appreciated talking with Jonathan. We talked about a lot of different things. We talked about the need to put up boundaries in our lives so that we're protected in times of weakness. We talked about the blessing of being in a community of believers that we can really rely on in moments of temptation. But the main thing by far that we talked about was the need to have a fighting spirit over the long haul. The Lord has absolutely promised to give us freedom and victory, but he hasn't promised that we'll obtain that victory without a fight. He has not promised to do it for us. He's promised to do it in us. There's a real difference there. As you're journeying on the road to freedom, the first key lesson you need to remember is that freedom will not come without a fight. Thanks for joining us on Purity for Life. Join us next week as we talk about living by faith instead of our feelings and facing the consequences of our sin in a godly way. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.